The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Make the most of your life. When you remove the blocks that are holding you back, you can bring inspiration, passion, and purpose to yourself and those around you. This is the Hoffman Connection with your hosts, Raz Ingrassi and Ed McLoon. Our hosts and their guests will give you the tools that you need to improve yourself by bringing you closer to what really matters. Now, here's your host. Welcome to the Hoffman Connection. We're coming to you live from beautiful Northern California in San Rafael, where it's sunny and gorgeous. I'm Raz Ingrassi, the Hoffman Institute. CEO. And if you've never heard of the Hoffman Institute, we're celebrating 45 years on the leading edge of personal development programs, helping people who are serious about change. We have 13 centers in 11 countries, and we've helped over 80,000 people worldwide. Um, and I'm here with Ed McLoon, my co-host. Uh, Ed McLoon is also a Hoffman teacher and a therapist. Ed? Hey, good afternoon, Raz. Nice to be here. Um, the purpose of our show, The Hoffman Connection, is to bring you inspiration, education, some tools, informed guests who are all living a life they love and help us all live a life that we love. Um, we offer The Hoffman Process about every two weeks in Northern California and on the East Coast. Uh, it's a nonprofit organization here to support our community and our graduates throughout life. If uh, you're not too familiar with the Hoffman process and our other work, we have a free confidential um, introduction call after the show, and you can find out more about that show, or excuse me, that call. It's every Tuesday afternoon at 5 o'clock. The information's on our website, hoffmaninstitute.org, for more details on that. Now to introduce this afternoon's guest here, go back to you, Raz. Thanks, Ed. Today we're joined by... One of my great friends, uh, someone I admire totally, and he's one of the fathers of the human potential movement. If you were around in the 80s, early 90s, you might have taken actualizations and benefited enormously from it. But Stuart is also the best-selling author of Success Built to Last. That book is actually an international bestseller. It's been translated into 23 languages. And uh, his body of work on... Co Corporations is developed from the most comprehensive research project ever undertaken into what makes a company great, how good companies become great companies, and the traits of endearingly successful leaders who build these companies. So we're real excited to have him here today. He's, Stuart has led hundreds of managers around the world through vision, value, strategy, leadership initiatives based on uh, the book Success Built to Last. And he knows what he's talking about, and he's a lot of fun to talk to. So welcome, Stuart. Thank you. It's great to be here, Raz. Well, Stuart, one of the things I wanted to talk to you a little bit, I asked you to speak about, is, you know, when people take terrific, exciting courses in human development, like the Hoffman Process or 
actualizations or something else. Invariably, their hearts open up enormously, and uh, they love everybody, and there's more love, there's plenty of love to go around, and they find themselves connected up to everyone, and they get a deep sense of their own mission or purpose in life. But then when it comes time to uh, really implementing it, it's like there's some pruning to do. Oftentimes, there's, there are people in your lives who are really not part of your purpose anymore, and so it's a kind of a, a conflict. Uh, could you speak to that a little bit? Have you observed that kind of thing? Yeah, I see it a lot, actually, where uh, uh, people come out. Well, two things happen. They, they go through something like the Hofton process, and, uh, well, as you know, I resist doing it for 15 years. Fortunately, not everybody resists for 15 years, or you wouldn't have a business, but... Uh, I, I know for myself, um, you know, I had thought my heart was somewhat open. My wife would have disagreed, but I came out of it. I definitely felt more open, um, but I also felt more integrated as well as more open. But I watch people welcomed into this openness, and suddenly uh, they have a bunch of conflicts that are created. So one, if they have this loving experience, they feel duty-bound to interact with everybody and include absolutely everybody because that's what love is about, welcoming everybody in. And uh, they also think that they shouldn't have any judgments about people. Uh, and, and we can talk about that too. There's a, there's a way out of that dilemma, a different way of talking about it. But it's such an, uh, an acute uh, uh, issue. And we've found that truly successful people, for example, actually have developed great discernment about who they let into their lives. So we've come up with a metaphor to deal with that. So maybe if I could take five minutes just to take people through a little process. So, so first we have to define what a metaphor is. And, and I, uh, Joni and I, my beautiful wife Joni and I, were doing a talk for grade school children. That's a real test of, of anybody's ability. It's a terrifying experience because... You know, they're very direct, and they, they think that they see everything, and mostly they do. And they really do know about authenticity. So, so uh, I asked people in the room, did, did they know what a metaphor was? A little boy put his hand up, and he said, yes, a metaphor is something that's true on the inside, but is not true on the outside in objective reality. He didn't use the word objective reality, but, but that was what he was implying. And so I want everybody to uh, please just take a pause if you're on the call, and just perhaps you'd like to close your eyes. And I'm going to ask you a series of questions. And, and I don't want you to struggle about the literal truth on the outside of your life in answering this question. I want you to hold as a metaphor. So I'm going to talk to you about what we call the room of your life. So I want you to imagine, as it were, that you live your life in a single room. And the room can be whatever you would like it to be. It can be opulent, it can be sparse, it can be uh, modern, it can be traditional, it can be futuristic. But this is a room in which you spend your entire life. So if you travel, you travel in this room. And what's unusual about the room is it only has one door. And you might say, well, Stuart, that's not too unusual, actually, because I have a lot of rooms that only have one door. But what's unusual about this door is it's a one-way door. And so whoever comes into the room of your life and whatever they bring with them is with you forever. 
So the question I have for you, if you knew that, would you be more careful about who you invite into and entertain in the room of your life? Now, just before you go off at the tangent and say that couldn't be literally true, actually, as far as the mind is concerned, it is actually true because the mind is holographic and whatever comes in and the experience that get accumulated as a result of whatever coming in comes in uh, is with you forever in some way, shape, or form. So I want you to think about this, that the quality of your life and the success that you experience in your life is utterly, and I can't underscore that too much, is utterly dependent upon who you let into your room and what they bring with them. And so as we look at the successful people that we interviewed, and for successful to last, uh, my co-author Mark Thompson and Jerry Porras and, and some other people who are on the team, uh, collectively we have interviews with over 300 of the world's most successful people. You know, the requisite billionaires like Buffett and Gates and Jobs and Branson and uh, uh, Michael Dell, a few others. Uh, people who were not particularly famous at the time, ultimately became famous, like Muhammad Yunus, who won the Nobel Prize for his work on micro-lending, um, people like Oprah, uh, Quincy Jones. And we talked to them, and we found one of the things that's true about very successful people is that they say no more often than they say yes. And I watch people come out of these programs, and their hearts are open. And they think now they've got to always say yes and that if they say no, they're being a bad person or they're not being inclusionary and they have to include everybody now that they're having this experience of an open heart. That's a real stumbling block. So, so what I want to tell you is that you have to develop discernment. Well, one of the things that you know people do need to develop is discernment, and uh, obviously, but I have to say that a lot of what's really great in life seems to come from happy coincidences and things I can't anticipate. Even accidents sometimes turn out to be blessings in disguise. So how do you, what is this discernment really? Can you go, take a cut, a deeper cut? Is it looking through the heart? What is it, head and heart together? What is it, spiritual? Oh, that, I, Raz, I love the question. Uh, so, you know, before Hoffman, uh, my wife would say that I used to consider my body simply as something to cart my brain around. Uh, I had a couple of other appendages that she was fond of, but mostly it was to cart my brain around. And um, and I noticed that after the Hoffman process, I I really like a metaphor there. They have this metaphor of uh, the uh, the heart and the mind and the spirit and the body, and that to uh, function fully, those four elements need to be balanced and integrated. And, and I know before Hoffman, if I had to make a choice in life, I'd consult my rational mind. I've noticed that after Hoffman, uh, I now will find my body saying or screaming no when my mind thinks I ought to do it. And, and I've found as I become more integrated, I get a sense in a balanced way from the mind, from the body, where you feel the body contracting or opening, um, uh, the, the heart's opening or, or being cautious. Um, 
and I notice in a balanced way that I suppose you'd call it intuition that you open to some things and you get a sense absolutely not. So I ask myself the question, do I want this person or do I want this in my room? And the other part of it is you've got to be really clear about your values. You ought to be clear about what matters to you, what's important to you, what you think your purpose is. You might still be working on that because if you're not clear about your values, you're not clear about your purpose, you're not clear about what actually matters to you, then you can't tell the difference between an opportunity and a distraction, and we live in a very distracted world. So for me, since Hoffman, I'm getting much better at saying no as a result of opening my heart, so that seems like a contradiction, and I've gotten much, much better at sifting through opportunities versus distractions. So it sounds to me like you just gave us a working definition of getting over being judgmental and improving your your real judgment. Well, yes, so, so let's make a distinction there. I love the way the Buddhists talk about it. They talk about four levels of relationship to life. Let's just deal with two at the moment. And the first or the lowest level is if the relationship to life you have is one of judgment. In other words, on some level you think the Almighty put you here on earth to be the arbitrator of things good and things bad. The things are, in fact, intrinsically good or bad, right or wrong, good or evil, and your job is to figure out which is good, which is evil, and mete out rewards and punishments. Uh, not a good way to live. The next level up, they call, is the level of evaluation. And this is where you live, if you are a successful person, where you say, does this person or do these uh, resources bring sufficient value to this situation or to this project or to this process to be included in it? And if yes, we invite them in. And if no, we politely say, you know, it's been lovely to meet you. Or I'm grateful for the opportunity, but uh, we'd like to pass it this time. So a more highly integrated self can make those, those, uh, those kinds of discerning judgments. Correct. And it's very hard to make those discerning judgments or evaluations because the word means to look for the value in things. And if something doesn't have enough value in this situation, it's not evil, it's not bad, it's not wrong. It simply doesn't have enough value Perfect. for you and your life at <laughs> the right. time. So it shouldn't be in your room if we continue the room metaphor. That's right. Great. These, these are very clear, simple, I don't know, ideas to make that kind of discernment, Stuart. We're going to take a short break and come back with Stuart Emery, author of Success Built to Last and one of the fathers of the human potential movement. If you'd like to participate in the show, by the way, please feel free to give us a call, 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Or you could email a question to radio at hoffmaninstitute.org. We'll be right back. More Stuart Emery. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Are your unconscious patterns holding you back from a life you truly love? 
For 45 years, the Hoffman Process has helped people reclaim their ability to find love, forgiveness, and their true purpose in life. According to a University of California Davis study, Hoffman Process participants significantly increased their joy, satisfaction, and emotional intelligence on a sustained and lasting basis. For more information, visit us at hoffmaninstitute.org. The Hoffman Process, when you're serious about change, visit hoffmaninstitute.org. Are you looking for more joy, satisfaction, and love in your life? The Hoffman Process can give you the foundation and tools you need to create your ideal future. Celebrating 45 years as the premier personal growth program, the Hoffman Process has helped over 80,000 people worldwide discover answers and guidance to help them find their best life ever. Visit us at hoffmaninstitute.org for more information. The Hoffman Process, when you're serious about change. Again, visit hoffmaninstitute.org. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to The Hoffman Connection. To reach Raz and Grossi, Ed McClune, or this week's guest, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to radio at hoffmaninstitute.org. Now, back to our program. Is that it? So, it's Raz, and I'm talking here with uh, Ed, and I, Ed McClune is here too, but we're talking with Stuart Emery author of the international best-selling book, Success Built to Last, which has been translated into 23 languages and is based on the most comprehensive research project ever taken on what makes companies and people great and successful. And Stuart, I want to ask you, as a, uh, you know, we hear so much these days along the lines of do what you love and you'll be successful, find your life's pur- purpose, follow your passion, and uh, how is that related, or, or does it correlate to real life success? And you know, what did you find in your research? Well, I, I know it's become very fashionable to say you got to do what you love. You know, we have a thing called the passion test. People run off and take that, and they say they found what their passion is, what their life calling is. But what we've actually found is that's a prerequisite, but not sufficient to ensure your success. The most important skill set you can develop in life to give you a chance at great success is to learn how to get good at something. Learn how to do something well. There was a piece I read in Fortune, or might have been, I think it was Fortune, or might have been Forbes, about how the MBA class has destroyed Sony how MBA thinking has destroyed Sony and, and Samson and Apple between them have displaced Sony into almost irrelevance. Wow. I was talking to a fellow called Ed Pennowitz, and Ed uh, was a professor of chemistry and, uh, um, uh, at UC Berkeley. And uh, he, he went on to found a company called Chiron, a great biotech company. And uh, he subsequently went on to run the Moore Foundation. And uh, we were interviewing him, and um, I said to Ed, I said, I-, I want you to imagine I'm about to graduate, because he'd gone through explaining to me how he wouldn't hire MBAs. 
he just avoided that. And I said, Ed, I, I said, why not? He said, well, I can't do anything. They come out of these fancy colleges. They've got a graduate degree in arrogance. And no matter what job you give them, if they're not senior vice president within three months, they resent you. And they're angry. He said, I'm going to hire people like that. I said, okay, Ed, why are the people who want to hire? Is there any advice you gave, would want to give me? He said, yes. He said, I've always been a great believer in fortune cookies. And I rolled my eyes. This guy's a heavy-duty scientist. You know, he talks about DNA and the human genome and things like that. And he said, no, no, I can see you rolling your eyes. He said, but when I was a professor at uh, Berkeley, I got a fortune cookie which read, whatever you are, be a good one. I said, I thought Abraham Lincoln said, I said, yeah, I know, but the Chinese are the Chinese. You know, they stole it for fortune cookie. And he said, but, but he said, absolutely, that's the best advice I can give anybody, and here's why, professionally or personally. If you commit yourself to doing whatever is in front of you as well as you can possibly do it and learn and develop a process for yourself for getting good at doing something, even if you don't love it, people will look to you and say, there's a person who's really at it. And doors will open for you that you never knew existed. Because often success in life is a serendipitous journey, but it's only open to people who have a commitment to doing something with excellence and therefore creating value wherever they go. On the other hand, if you're a person who's not doing the thing in front of you well, because you don't like it, people won't say, well, Fred isn't doing well because he doesn't like it. We'll have to find him something he does like. They'll simply flip the bit on you and say, he's just a, you know, a sloth. So now he said, here's the other side of it. You might do a number of things and struggle to get really good at them, and it'll always be a struggle and you'll find you won't like it. But someday you'll find a thing that you do love, and here's the deal. By the time you find the thing that you love, you will have learned how to get good at it in time for it to do you some good. He said, and the thing that you love may not have been invented. You may be the person who invents it, but you won't be able to invent anything if you don't first learn the process for getting good at it. So a lot of our work today is working with people and coaching people on how to become world-class at doing something that they love. And here's where the that they love becomes important. If you don't love it, you won't endure the hardship and the hours that you've got to put in and the awareness that you have to develop and the consciousness that you have to develop to get good at it. You just won't be able to endure it. So loving something and finding your passion is the starting point. The starting point. But, but if you don't know how to get good at it, having found your passion will become a suffering rather than a salvation because it'll be like unrequited love and that it never wow. ends well, as all of the soap operas will attest to. And certainly we've seen an awful lot of people in our work who have gotten very good at things, out of, you know, have the self-discipline to do well, but find that they have done well forgetting that whatever they're working hard to achieve isn't actually something they love. And often something like depression comes up or feeling unfulfilled because I've worked to get to the top of the, get to the, cla 
top of the corporate ladder only to find out that the ladder is leaning against a wall that's not very satisfying to me. Correct, and that happens a lot, you know. You're absolutely right. We call it in success book the last, the curse of competence. You've learned to become competent so you can easily end up doing something uh, that, in fact, you don't love. And that's why I think that the Huffman process is such a good thing. You know, for people to develop this balance of mind and body and spirit and emotion, to have that integration, then they know whether they love something or whether they don't love it, uh, whether it's their calling or it isn't. That they, their mind allows them to come up with the metrics to measure that they're progressively getting better at it. I'm looking at Raz's office here, and there's a little thing on the floor with a couple of golf balls in and the putting thing. And, you know, the great thing about golf is you get instant feedback. Every, every time you, you hit the ball, it either goes where you hoped it would or it doesn't. But you get feedback every stroke of how you're doing. And the thing with most people is, you know, you can't get better at something you can't measure. And people who have become world-class are able to make distinctions and are able to make measurements that are just outside other people's field of awareness. And it takes the love part of it to propel you to, the, to, to develop that sense of awareness, that sense of consciousness, that sense of discipline, and that ability to make measurements and know that you did better in the next moment than you had in the last moment. So linking skill, like you're talking about, Stuart, with what you care about starts to lean towards this word that's coming up in leadership circles more and more of the time, authenticity. And you've worked with people in corporate life all over the world at all kinds of different strata within corporate life. Is this word authenticity kind of a, a, a difficult one to sell in, in that crowd? Uh it is and it isn't. We're putting together actually an organization. Um, um, Jack Canfield and myself and a couple of the people are putting together an organization uh, for C-suite people to come and learn from one another who, who you know, have a, a diverse and, and, and a multiplicity of skills and interests and, and, and are committed to leading businesses by leading the human spirit. Uh, and so you have this question of authenticity and it's often confused with this curse that I see people get afflicted by when they come out of a transformational experience that they now have to tell the truth about everything to everybody. And, and, and that's not constructive at all. So, so uh, you have to redefine authenticity. And, and we would say authentic people live moment by moment by moment in a way that's consistent with their values. Now, of course, the rub is that uh, they're their values, and there isn't some right set of values. Uh, sometimes we come out uh, of a transformational experience, and we think, well, you know, we shouldn't have any prejudice, and I don't have any prejudice. But if somebody asks us, do we uh, like people who are prejudiced, we say, oh, no, of course not. I mean, so obviously we're prejudicial still. But um, I, I think that... To be authentic, the inside and the outside match. The values that you hold on the inside of the actions you take on the outside, and they're aligned, and they match. And, and the behavioral thing's a little difficult, because I can see three or four people doing the same behavior, and in three out of the four cases, it won't be authentic, and the one case, it will. And you'll say, well, how can it be authentic 
once and three people not authentic? Well, because for three people, that behavior is not a authentic expression of the values or an authentic expression of their unique human spirit. In the authentic person, that behavior is an authentic expression of their spirit. And, and I think that's what authenticity is about. Right, congruence between what's inside and what's outside. Yeah, I love that word, congruence. Absolutely, Ed. It's a great yeah. word. All right, Stuart. I, I'm so appreciative of, of the usefulness uh, and the inspiration of your congruence here, both with uh, your intellect and your heart. And I'm delighted to have you here. And hopefully some guests will call in to uh, get some of your wisdom as well, if you're interested. I like Online that, here's, actually. I'm sorry, Stuart. I said I love that if people call in. All right, we'll see what happens at 866-472-5788, 472-5788. We'll be back more with Stuart Emery here on the Hoffman Connection in just a minute. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you looking for more joy, satisfaction, and love in your life? The Hoffman Process can give you the foundation and tools you need to create your ideal future. Celebrating 45 years as the premier personal growth program, the Hoffman Process has helped over 80,000 people worldwide discover answers and guidance to help them find their best life ever. Visit us at hoffmaninstitute.org for more information. The Hoffman Process, when you're serious about change. Again, visit hoffmaninstitute.org. Are your unconscious patterns holding you back from a life you truly love? For 45 years, the Hoffman Process has helped people reclaim their ability to find love, forgiveness, and their true purpose in life. According to a University of California Davis study, Hoffman Process participants significantly increased their joy, satisfaction, and emotional intelligence on a sustained and lasting basis. For more information, visit us at hoffmaninstitute.org. The Hoffman Process, when you're serious about change. Visit hoffmaninstitute.org. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to The Hoffman Connection. To reach Raz and Grossi, Ed McClune, or this week's guest, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to radio at hoffmaninstitute.org. Now, back to our program. Hello, and welcome back to the Hoffman Connection. This is Raz and Grossi sitting here with Stuart Emery. We've been talking with him about his best-selling book, Success Built to Last, and I want to talk to him now a little bit about another very important book you wrote. In fact, I think it was your most recent book, also a bestseller, and the book is entitled, Do You Matter? How Great Design Will Make People Love Your Company? And I think that's a big question for everybody. Do I matter? Who do I matter to? Is it, does it make any difference that I was alive? And it's uh, one of the, the eternal and really important questions we're all, we all face. And Stuart, what, what prompted you to write this book? Well, I, I, as long as I can remember, I've been curious about why, what works and what doesn't. 
and why things work and why they don't. And um, I, I got the notice that people who were enduringly successful had the quality of serving the human experience in some way. And, and uh, my publisher said, would you do a book on design? And serendipitously, I was introduced to the guy, Robert Bruner, who had built Apple's legendary internal industrial design group and hired Sir Jonathan Ive, who hadn't been knighted at the time, but subsequently has because of what he's created in the world. So we started to have another look. Uh, Jim uh, Collins and Jerry Porras, two good friends, did uh, Built the Last. Um, and then they did Good to Great. And then with Jerry and Mark Thompson, I did Success Built the Last. And so if you're looking at the traits of enduringly successful people and enduringly successful company, you have to say, what separates them? Well, certainly they're run by passionate people. They're run by people who have some sense of what it takes to be successful. But, but if you say, why is Sony failing and why is Apple now the most valuable company on earth and will be the first company to reach a, um, a trillion dollar in the market cap, and it was started by a college dropout called Steve Jobs and, and Steve Wozniak, and, and you look at companies run by MBAs that are not doing well at all, what's that about? And uh, I realized what that was about, watching a program shot here in Marin at the, at the Skywalker Ranch uh, where Bill Moyer was interviewing Joseph Campbell shortly before his death. And, and, and Bill said, the question you posed, Raz, well, but surely isn't what people want out of life is that they want some sense of meaning. They, they want to have a sense that they matter. And, and Joe, he liked to be called Joe rather than Joseph, Joe said, no, no, I don't think that's true at all, Bill. And you see Moya, like, taken aback. He said, <laughs> he said, I think that what people want out of life is a great experience of being alive while they still are. <laughs> and I think that the people who matter are the people who know how to design for the human experience. And so that kind of all rattled around in my head. So we ended up called Do You Matter How Great Design Will Make People of Your Company because of the business book. And I actually was featured in a full-page article and review in Time magazine the year that Obama was in the cover and it was talked about the year of what matters. So it was a serendipitous thing we called the book Do You Matter. But anyhow, so if we look at successful companies and successful people, um, Professionally, they know how to design for the human experience. So Apple is in the experience business. You know, right. Apple's jobs edict at Apple was, we want to make products that people love. We want to make a phone that people love. He was absolutely fanatic. I mean, truly a fanatic about the quality of the human experience that Apple products facilitate people in enjoying. That's what he was focused on. And he also personally believed that beautiful things raised the quality of the human experience, that uncluttered beautiful things raised the quality of the human experience. So then as we look at all of the great companies, we find that actually their products are a facilitation device or a facilitation service 
but the quality of the human experience. And then if we say, okay, what does it mean to be successful? Uh, in a world where in America and in some of the places where we live, people have enough stuff to start their own world. Uh, and, and cynical men say, he who dies with the most toys wins. Uh, and many of them die disappointed and with the most toys. Um, we think you have to define success as the day-to-day quality of your experience. And that seems to be a high-quality experience if you... Um, are clear that you create value in terms of the human experience. Thanks, Stuart. Um, I'm, I'm wanting to listen to the archived version of the show later on just to repeat all these points you're making. Um, we do have a caller coming, calling, and Monica has a question for you. And Let's go straight to her right now. Monica, welcome to the Hoffman Connection. Hi, thank you, Ed. I'm so happy to be listening to the show. It's very... And inspiring what you're talking about today. Thank Hello, you, Monica. Hi, how are you, Stuart? I'm, I'm good. Um, Stuart, can I ask you a question directly in regards to a company that I'm running um, and getting off the ground here in Hawaii? Absolutely. Uh, our strategy is to, as we, uh, we put it in writing and, and try to live up to it every day, is to un- unleash empower and awaken the full potential of every person to innovate, investigate, and cultivate their creative vision. Now, I know that's a lot of words. It is. It boils down to helping people, I think, somehow express and communicate their creativity. Why don't you say it like that? I'm sorry? Just like that. Keep it simple? Oh, yes. (laughs) Absolutely. Look, Look at... Look, look at the great Apple slogan. It just works. My life transformed when we got rid of all of the PCs and, and started using Macs. And I bought them because I needed to use Keynote. But I was unprepared for the way it changed our lives. And once I gave my wife a, a Mac, I no longer had to provide tech support, you know, because it was 1-800 tech support in my community. It was 1-800 Stuart. So, so Apple was just work. Nike is just do it. It has to be really simple because I don't, I, you see this word empowered. I have, I actually do know what it means. Do you know what it means? To, to me, the word empower means to um, basically give a hand up versus a handout. Well, a hand up, well, that's good. I like hand up better than handout. But, but, but that isn't what it means. Um, oh. it, it, it actually means to enable people to take creative action on their own behalf and on the behalf of others. That's what it actually means. So now that's a hell of a lot of words to define a word, so we call it empower. But the Mm -hmm. problem is we keep using the word, but a lot of us have absolutely, you know, with all due respect, have absolutely no idea what it means anymore because it's one of those buzzwords. And, and I'm glad at least you're not trying to empower people by giving them handouts, so I feel much better about that. <laughs> well, thank you. You know, when you're talking so much about Apple, I love Apple. I have an Apple computer. It transformed my life when I got my first Apple. And it's just so much fun to work with it. And, um, you know, I'm a big fan of theirs, but another company that's really somehow kind of had a dynamic approach in the marketplace is Disney. And they now have a Disney Institute that is meant 
it's so simple. Their their goal is for companies to come in and they they're looking to just make their employees smile more. Yes. <laughs> Can you comment on that? Well, y- yes. I mean, Disney's a great company, but if we get back to their uh, original slogan, was their original slogan was, "We create happiness." Right. That's their business. But notice, uh, Apple's. Uh, it just works, uh, and then internally at Apple it was, we create products that people love. Mm-hmm. Um, so so all of these companies are resources for the human experience. I remember doing a keynote at the Pentagon, and I held up an iPhone, and I said, what's that? He said, it's an iPhone. And I said, great. So now let's just imagine that uh, uh, I take away the App Store, so you don't have all these apps on it, uh, we take away the fact that it's a great camera and it's a great uh, takes great movies. We take away the Apple logo and the uh, Apple retail stores with the Genius Bar, uh, and we take away the wonderful packaging. It's still an iPhone, mm-hmm. and, and, and then people say, "Hell no!" And I said, "So what am I holding in my hand?" And a four-star general says, "A really beautifully designed piece of junk." And I said, great, so the phone is in the product, so what is the product? And pretty soon people figured out the product was Apple have made in the iPhone access to our experiences that we treasure really, really enjoyable. We did a lot of work with MasterCard, and, and we sat around and I asked them what business they were in. And they all gave a different answer. I said, with all due respect, you people are pretty much screwed uh, because you don't know what business you're in. And uh, they said, well, you're the consultant, so why don't you tell us? I said, I've got to tell you as a consultant. I'm going to tell you as an ad man, an ex-Australian ad man with a college degree in cynicism, actually a doctorate in cynicism. And I'd say, you're in the business. I said in Australian because you can get away with a lot when you talk in Australian. I said, (laughs) you're in the business are getting Americans further and further into debt to buy more and more of what they can never get enough of and don't need any way to make them happy. And as such, you have no redeeming social value. How's that? <laughs> well, it got really quiet in the boardroom. And the C- everyone looked at the CEO to see what, which way he was going to dive. And he started off, he said, that's pretty good. Is there an alternative? And, and we said, yes. What would happen if you took the point of view on your business that the things that make you really unhappy in life, money can't buy. They're kind of priceless. But you oh can use gosh. your MasterCard for everything else, and the rest, as they say, is history. Yeah. And they became focused on we are people as a company that care about and facilitate and make more convenient access to the experiences that are priceless. So the great companies understand how to access and support the human experience. And if you look at your company, when people um, tap into the creativity, um, then they do have a richer experience if their creativity is coupled with and a form of expression that they perceive as adding value to other people's experience. I mean, that's what art does for people. It provides people with a richer context for their own inner experience. Monica, thanks for your call very Thank much. Thank you, Monica. Thank you. I appreciate we're, it. We're Hold here on. with Stuart Emery, 
adding quite a bit of pleasure to our inner and outer experience here, at least mine. Thanks, Stuart. We've got one more segment. If you'd like to join us here on the Hoffman Connection with your question for Stuart Emery, our line is 866-472-5788. And just before we go to break, I want to remind you that at the top of the hour, 5 o'clock Pacific time, if you'd like to learn more about the Hoffman process and what we offer at the Hoffman Institute Foundation, there's a free and confidential um, information call, introduction call that we do every Tuesday at 5 Pacific time. There's more information about that on our website, hoffmaninstitute.org. We'll be right back on the Hoffman Connection in just a minute here. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Are your unconscious patterns holding you back from a life you truly love? For 45 years, the Hoffman Process has helped people reclaim their ability to find love, forgiveness, and their true purpose in life. According to a University of California Davis study, Hoffman Process participants significantly increased their joy, satisfaction, and emotional intelligence on a sustained and lasting basis. For more information, visit us at hoffmaninstitute.org. The Hoffman Process, when you're serious about change. Visit hoffmaninstitute.org. Are you looking for more joy, satisfaction, and love in your life? The Hoffman Process can give you the foundation and tools you need to create your ideal future. Celebrating 45 years as the premier personal growth program, the Hoffman Process has helped over 80,000 people worldwide discover answers and guidance to help them find their best life ever. Visit us at hoffmaninstitute.org for more information. The Hoffman Process, when you're serious about change. Again, visit hoffmaninstitute.org. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to The Hoffman Connection. To reach Raz and Grossi, Ed McClune, or this week's guest, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to radio at hoffmaninstitute.org. Now, back to our program. Hello, this is Raz and Grossi. back here with Stuart Emery. And at the break, I was just telling Stuart how wonderful it was to hear Monica's questions and to... Uh, to uh, have her call in, I think that's the, uh, the the you know off the cuff comment that is often the most exciting. Well, you know, I I just really appreciate that Monica called in because Monica is has the courage to start a business, and and the work that Joni and I most love doing is helping people who are small business owners who are entrepreneurs because they're the lifeblood of our culture, the lifeblood of our economy. Um, and the economy may be struggling a little bit, but, the, but independent businessmen and businesswomen and independent entrepreneurs write a greater dollar volume of paychecks 
than the Apples and the Sonys and the GMs combined. They just do. That's the lifeblood of this country. So, Monica, I salute you. And, and, and the, the, if I appeared to be caustic about that, was a lot of words that were said with love and respect. And so thank you for being a good sport. <laughs> That's great, Stuart. Now, one of the other things we hear a lot in our culture about is the something like the success mindset or or the, I don't know, it comes up like the uh, abundance mindset. Oh, don't get me started. <laughs> apparently, Raz did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, apparently did. I mean, okay, so I was going to ask you about it. Why don't you, uh, Rax Eloquent, about that? Well, 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 I remember going to talk at a, like one of these new age business schools. And I go in there, and I'm going to have a serious conversation. And people are there, and I see that they've got coloring books. And I'm talking, and they're doing coloring. I say, what the hell are you doing? And I said, well, we're doing our prosperity consciousness coloring books. I just lost it. I said, you what? Well, we're doing our prosperity consciousness coloring books. I said, that's not going to make you rich. That's only going to make the people who make the pens that you use and the paper that you use to do the coloring richer. It won't make a brass razzoo for you. <laughs> you know, the consciousness that brings abundance is your own determination. And with that, again and again and again, learn how to get good at something. Really take this, whatever you are, be a good one to heart. In the process of that, notice what it is you actually love to do and focus on serving the human experience and society will reward you for doing that. Um, by the way, my wife and I were watching, Joni and I were watching Dancing with the Stars the other night. And I noticed how people who actually could barely put one foot in front of the other, just like me, had gotten to be phenomenal. And I was realizing one of the things that we always used to teach people was the environment always wins. It's another version of who's in your room. But these people who are suddenly becoming really excellent dancers for the duration of the show have the best dancers and musicians in their room and are exclusively with those people six, seven, eight, ten, twelve hours a day, six, seven days a week for a season. And you put in the time and learn to have a mentor or a coach, your own system of measurement to note your progress and note where you need to practice more and practice more and practice more, then whether you've got an abundance mindset or not, actually you will trip over success. I love it. Ed, do you have any other questions or comments for Stuart? Well, um, yeah, I mean, that, that leads to something that I've, I'm, I, I think, as you know, Stuart, or I've seen, I'm a wonderful improviser, but not necessarily the greatest at um, repeated over and over and over again practice and it seems like one of the things I'm learning over time is that actually whether it's dancing for the stars or playing a musical instrument or writing a book that committing to some practice is almost like miraculous that a practice will generate a result. Yes, actually committing to a practice will change your life. So Joni and I would like to see people commit to a practice of meditation or a practice of doing for example those processes that come on a CD after you do the Hoffman process. So that's a practice which nurtures our spirit and nurtures our heart and reminds us to nurture our mind and nurture our bodies. Uh, and then in terms of your life skills, it, it just takes practice. Um, you know, a surgeon, for example, 
who, who does intricate surgeries, the really good ones have got to do 200 a year to stay really good. The okay ones do 50 a year. And you go through every field of endeavor, and it's time and it's practice, but it's also that finely honed feedback loop. I'm a really good home barista. I make great espresso. It took me years of practice to be able to consistently pull a great shot of espresso. And you know why it took me so long? Because I didn't do it multiple times a day. I pull like four or five a day. A barista pulls on a busy day maybe four or five hundred. You get really good really fast where you don't survive. I could imagine you drinking four or five hundred espresso. No, I couldn't drink that many. I can drink like a couple. Well, the kind he makes, I've had, and believe me, I can only drink one. <laughs> and then I got a buzz for about two hours. I said, Stuart, what was in that? He said, about four times as much as when you get one at Starbucks. Yeah, but they're in the flavored milk business. They're not actually in the coffee business. <laughs> <laughs> and so another show comes to an end. We both, uh, Raz and I, want to thank Stuart Emery for uh, all the rich information and thought that went into our show today. Stuart's the author of a couple of books, including Success Built to Last. Stuart, thanks for being here with us in the Hoffman Connection today. A pleasure. Thank you for having it's me. really wonderful. And next week, Betsy Meyer is going to be with us. Is that right, Raz? Yes. yes. Next week, Betsy Meyer's in her new book, Take the Lead. Betsy has, um, well, she was the executive director of the Center for Public Leadership at Harvard for many years and has worked on the front edge of what it means to make public contribution. And she was in the Clinton White House, I think, for eight years in charge of women's initiatives in the United States. So a big passion of hers is empowerment of women. And um, she's an amazing, lively woman who was just on a constant speaking to her, and uh, her life is really about empowerment of women, and she knows a lot about it, and her book is Take the Lead. It's a great best-selling book right now. Okay. Yeah, that'll be a great show, Raz. I'll be off teaching, so you'll be here solo. Sounds um, good to me. And we want to remind a couple, uh, our listeners of a couple things. Once all the shows that you hear that on the the Hoffman Connection are archived at Voice America Radio. Uh, and also that just after this um, show, you can get in touch and learn more about the Hoffman Institute and our foundation, our course, by uh, a free introductory call that's every Tuesday afternoon at 5 o'clock Pacific time. And you can go to the Hoffman Institute website for information on that as well as all the offerings and research on the Hoffman process. That's hoffmaninstitute.org. All right, we're just about to wrap up the show. Thank you for listening this afternoon, um, and we look forward to connecting with you more here. Raz, great, great show. Glad you're here. Thank you, Ed. I'm real happy you're here. And, Stuart, you've been a terrific guest. Well, thank you both for having me. I really enjoyed it. Good friends, good company. Great. <laughs> thank you. And, Betsy, thank you for calling in. No, Monica. Monica, thank you for calling in. Thank you again for being a part of the Hoffman Connection. Please join your hosts, Raz and Grossi and Ed McLoon, again next Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until then, make it an outstanding week.